I think we're live. All right, good afternoon. It is Tuesday, December 13th. I'm Samantha LaDuke, founder of LaDukeTrading.com from a uh, chilly little Boston. And I am joined by Craig Shapiro uh, out of, I'm sure, warm Naples. I am very happy that we could kind of talk macro to micro this afternoon. Craig uh, heads up, he's a, my longtime client and hedge fund manager uh, turned macro advisor, um, edge uh, resource for all of our Leduc trading clients. And very much with CPI having printed this morning with a surprise beat, so to speak, um, and FOMC front and center tomorrow, uh, the least of which is not over, by the way, for dramatic events. We also have the largest notional value in options expiration on quad witching this coming Friday. So we've got lots to discuss, um, and there is basically a lot of event risk this week. Markets have been acting very volatile into the prints, um, after the prints, and then fading the prints. So we have a, a lot at stake uh, leading up into tomorrow. Um, I thought one thing that might be helpful is to kind of start off with a little bit of a, mac of, with a micro before we go to macro because of a chart uh, that I gave to clients where we have been really in this, let me just get it real quick, um, in this big, big, big picture um, shop. So share a little bit of what I shared with clients, which is, here's SPX, right? And this was obviously sent earlier, but the point is we have been moving off of this October 13th low. And then over here, you'll see this big expansion bar on October 21st, which was Bank of Japan yen intervention, um, we had some obviously uh, quite volatile chop in between, but this was the last CPI from November. So this was a massive um, bear trap. And then we had a historic rally from the lows to the highs, about five standard, standard deviation moves. So it was extremely outsized. And then we went into this kind of consolidation pattern you know this trend line, the famous uh, trend line from the highs. We definitely tagged it and then petered out, but we did not break. Um, we really, really just kind of churned sideways into the next kind of uh, trend line before this morning's CPI. So we did hit, quote unquote, a double top of this 4,100 area. Um, I was on an IBKR podcast back on November 1st with Steve Sosnick, where I talked about um, pre-CPI and the last FOMC meeting that if they did not do a Fed-induced rug pull, we could see 4130. You can kind of see this level right here. We haven't tagged it. Yes, in futures we did, but I don't really consider that. It's, it's the regular cash session that I was really focused on. And we could always overshoot and get a bullish bent uh, right into this gap fill, obviously, um, another 100 points higher. So we definitely have potential to move into this print um, post-FOMC or even on uh, Powell's uh, presentation at the podium tomorrow. However, we did a very strong reversal off the high. So as soon as we opened, we faded. Granted, this is a few hours old, but the point is we've got this um, support around 4050, and that really needs to hold Otherwise, we're going to come right back down and do a nice big gap fill. So we have a, a, a really big um, wedge here of churn and chop. So just from a micro standpoint, if we were to take out some of these levels, 3931, we go down to 3900, obviously, 
we're going to break down and we're going to see, um, this is 3,900, see another gap fill potential all the way down to 3,800. So we basically are right in the middle, right, between these two gaps. So I just want to kind of put that in perspective as far as the um, uh, micro, and now we're going to kind of talk macro. Talk to me. What do you think about the uh, the CPI well, print? I'm going to try and un unshare. Well, 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 before you before you leave that that chart, I just I think it's interesting, just thinking about this wet, you know, this this wedge or whatever, you know, this triangle that kind of seems like it's ready to kind of make a big move in one way or the other, you know, kind of over the course of the next, you know, few weeks or so. Um, and it's kind of not surprising that we're like into a Fed meeting tomorrow where we're, we're talking about seeing, you know, possibly the end of the rate hike cycle. Um, we're also seeing, you know, some slowdown in the economy that, that, that is, is being picked up. So, you know, it almost feels kind of poetic that we're we're kind of getting to this we're getting to this point, and I'm not sure if it's going to be, you know, a breakout or a breakdown kind of before the end of the year. But I suspect, you know, certainly when we get into January, a a large move will be will be made in 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 one direction or the other. And I think the the driver of that move will be, you know, the Fed's reaction function to the the data that it's observing right now. And so I, I think there certainly is a case to be made for a step down in, in rate hikes from 75 to 50 in this meeting and, and possibly 25 at the next meeting or 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 after that, right? I mean they're they're guiding markets to look at core CPI and core PCE. And it's very likely that after this being the second month in a row of deceleration on core uh, CPI, that next month, next month's reading, meaning the December reading, will show that third month in a row, which um, you know the Fed likes to talk about a series of of better uh, inflation data. A series in their mind is three, so a couple is two, a series is three. So we, we would be at three. And there would be more justification for them to step down again um, in, you know, at the Jan Fed meeting um, and possibly um, finish uh, at, at that point in time. Um, but it's also possible that they will look at the strength in the labor market, which, which I've been talking a lot about, and we continue to observe, where, where wages um, are still incredibly robust and wages are a forward indicator for that core services inflation reading. And so unless we see more destruction on the labor front, uh, a more protracted downturn in, in, in job creation, a, a pickup in the unemployment rate um, that, that leads to an even more protracted slowdown, unless we get that, we're not going to solve the inflation issue. Um, but clearly, the, the Fed has become very divided. Um, hawks and doves at, at this point with, with Powell leading the hawkish camp and Brainerd leading the dovish camp and Brainerd is concerned that um, perhaps we've done too much and that these recent inflation readings are suggestive of uh, the fact that things were a bit more transitory finally um, and inflation readings are going to come down aggressively over the course of the first half of the year and there's really no reason to be doing a lot more and 
Powell and, and others like Waller or Bullard or Nestor are more in the camp of, uh, you know, a, a, an incredibly tight labor market that is still seeing a robust wage, wage uh, outlook. So, I mean, we're, we're, you know, it's kind of one of those, I don't know if it's rare, but it, it really feel like into tomorrow, it's hard, it's hard to say <laughs> how, how they're going to, how they're going to decide. Um, uh, clearly the market was, was reacting today to the weaker CPI print with some aggressive buying and, um, you know, throughout the day and that, you know, there was, there was call monetization and put monetization. And so the reaction uh, wasn't as aggressive as uh, where we saw at 831, but um, I still think we are in TBD mode tomorrow. My, what I think is going to happen um, is I, I think Powell is going to try to tell the market that he remains um, resolute in his uh, attack on inflation. He likes what he is seeing, but the job is not done. And there will be more tightening. Um, and, and really what I, I suspect they want to start to push back against is this idea that imminently after the terminal rate, which at this point is in May, that they're going to immediately start cutting rates. Because right now the market has uh, priced in aggressive rate cuts for the second half of 2023 and for all of 2024. And it, it, it's, it seems as though the Fed, by saying they're looking to you know, get the terminal and pause for an extended period of time, there's a gap there between what does that mean for the Fed and what is the market pricing in. So I think we're going to hear a bit more tomorrow about you know, trying, to, trying to square that circle. All right. So one of the reasons why I had this chart up while you were talking was to um, kind of comment, because we were talking about this, this move today. Uh, CPI obviously was um, lower than expected, hence the, the bullish rally. But it was kind of interesting how we bounced um, at the dollar mark of $103.65 exactly, which caused the profit taking right at the open, obviously it came down, then it picked up a little bit more speed. Uh, it looked like it was going to go a full, you know, green to red. And in some cases it definitely did. But this is a chart that I posted for clients back on the 2nd of December, which was basically the price target. We can still overshoot that and head lower, but I still think that this is a better um, uh, read for me anyway uh, then, then trying to gain the FOMC. In other words, the dollar makes the weather. And right now, this has been falling perfectly, um, kind of tactically, you know, technically, however you want to put it. And it came into that 103.65 you know, this morning, right? The dollar dumped very strongly as stocks and bonds rallied very strongly on that weaker than expected uh, CPI read. And then, boom, um, we had this nice pullback for the bears. Uh, and it, it was really tough for for bulls going, hey, wait, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> but um, strategically, this rally could absolutely still move higher. Of course, whatever uh, Fed forecasts tomorrow, I should say Powell um, with the, the future um, in uh, pause or pivot. But for the most part, I'm just saying another way of staying with this rally for those who are bullish, despite the shake and bake that we've had. Um, not just for you know days, but weeks, but months. We really have just been rotating sideways um, in in, in volatile swath, swaths. But the point is, we could still fall in the dollar down to like 102 area. Mm -hmm. um, that's where I think it gets really, really strongly defended. Um, I just kind of want to 
you know, kind of point that out because this is very tough to game CPI. It's very tough to game the Fed. We could be done going down in the dollar right now. I think we could have another rug pull down to 102. And why does that matter? Because it's extremely bullish uh, for yen, <laughs> for gold, for bonds, and uh, with that, for stocks. So if we, you know, that's really where I had um, rec and recommended for clients to kind of tighten up in regards to um, the dollar move kind of corresponding with the CPI and with FOMC, very much so. So I, I showed that kind of uh, chart of SPX, but we have talked about wages a lot and um, inflation expectations a lot. One thing I wanted to point out was yesterday we were in the room and remember inflation expectations by the New York Fed were going to be coming out for the one, three and five year um, and um, inflation expectations. And one thing that I said was expect the one year to be uh, very soft because it tracks oil and oil, as we know, has fallen in the past uh, since mid-November really strongly. And this, by the way, is just an overlay um, that also Steve Sosnick from IBKR had posted the other day, and it shows beautifully, you know, the correlation between one-year inflation expectations at the New York Fed and the price of of, of oil, also um, RB gasoline futures. So, to me, this was the reason that we got supported yesterday. This came out at eleven o'clock, and the market rallied. And I said, I want to keep the trading room open because I this, I think this is going to be soft for the one year because oil has been so depressed, right? Or, um, or I should say suppressed. And we had that very strong move in, uh, you know, into the rest of the day, um, net buying as well as, you know, price action. And then CPI, it's very hard to gain CPI. Is it going to be weak? Uh, is it going to be, you know, strong to that, you know, relatively speaking, 7.3 area. It came in weak and the market got all bulled up. But that entire gap is unwinding, um, because I also believe that the expected move for this week matters. So we had a 2.7% expected move for SPY. And between Monday morning and um, this Tuesday morning open, that was 4.1%. So we've already had a very large move in, um, in the market. And dealers were basically kind of pressed to, I think, um, sell into that gap up this morning. So now that we have kind of CPA, CPI out of the way, um, and we we absolutely have wage inflation sticky. We you know input costs are still strong. Um, big big discussion right that we've had regarding like wages and um, outperforming productivity. Will the Fed see this as something that they have not conquered? Um, or do you think they will play Santa, not Grinch? Like, yeah. ultimately, it's very hard to know. But, you know, baseline bet, yeah. what do you think is going to happen tomorrow with uh, with FOMC right. and with Powell? So so I think what's what's different about the setup into this meeting versus maybe the, the last couple meetings or the last few data points that typically like, like a CPI or a payroll print that will move rate expectations. What, what's different now that I see is that, I, I guess over the last few months, um, after let's say Powell's hawkish Jackson Hole speech, that into these events, the, the market has aggressively, the bond market specifically, has aggressively priced in the tightening cycle. Um, the terminal rate, I think the peak in the terminal rate 
uh, I forget exactly when it was, but it was it was close to 5.15%, right? So we, we were pricing in, um, maybe it was after the, the hot September reading or, um, or maybe it was during the September meeting where the market kind of got really got very aggressive as far as, uh, and I know Nomura had said that, you know, they expect 575 to 6% Fed funds rate terminal and street was taking up expectations. And, and what has kind of happened since then is, is because of the data, um, the CPI data coming in weaker than expected, we've seen the market kind of price that out. And, and take that out. And that has been kind of corroborated by the Fed step down from, from 75 to 50. What we have into tomorrow is we have the terminal rate now for, uh, for next year at basically 4.85%. So the terminal rate as of the last meeting was at, uh, or as the last dot plot was looking at 4.62%. Powell has said they expected to move up slightly at the next meeting the next summary of economic projections, which would intonate 4.85%. So basically the, the Fed, Fed funds is actually at where the Fed has said they're likely to be at. Um, so we're not really pricing in too hawkish of a Fed at this point. And if you look at the forward curve in Fed funds rate, basically now the market is expecting close to 150 basis points of rate cuts between the middle of next year and the end of 2024. You know, so the market is now looking for a, a substantial rate cut cycle that immediately begins. Now, Waller and Bullard and others have said they expect rates to remain in restricted territory with no cuts for the entirety of 2023. So it's almost like the, the bond market has gone from too hawkish of expectations about what the Fed is gonna do to way too dovish as far as their expectations of what the Fed is gonna do kind of beyond terminal. And so what I think is tomorrow, there will be pushback against this idea that the Fed is gonna imminently start cutting rates in the middle of 2023, and that that rate cut cycle is gonna be an aggressive rate cut cycle. And the reason is because as you said, because the labor market data is still too robust to, to really give anybody or at the Fed confidence that now's a good time to start thinking about pricing in those cuts. So what I, I suspect is going to happen is they take up the terminal rate for 2023 and the dots in 2024, which now are very erratic and, and widely dispersed, will, will show a higher number than the 3.8% um, expected which is in the current SEP. So I think that number moves up as well, which is their attempt to push back against this idea that the Fed's going to be cutting so aggressively, um, you know, in 2024. So I think that message can come across as, as hawkish. And that message is basically one of the economy is slowing, but the labor market is still robust. And so the Fed is unable to provide incremental liquidity into an economy that is showing early signs of slowing and that it will need to see a much more protracted decline in growth momentum before it could provide liquidity. And something I've been saying for, for months and certainly prior on, this, on, this, on these webinars is that for me, that timeline to Fed adding liquidity 
is, is what drives risk on or risk off behavior. And so as we learn that the Fed is still far away from providing that liquidity, it's negative for markets when we see growth data decelerate. And so, you know, the ISMs are pretty poor. You know, we have retail sales later this week. I, I see some of the consumer names have been acting pretty poor. Um, you know, uh, I know the airlines today were, were, were pretty poor on a demand destruction comment from, from JetBlue. So, you know, some of the you know, Costco numbers were a little bit weak, right? There, there is weakness at the consumer level, which I expect is going to continue to accelerate as we move, you know, over the course of the next few months. And, you know, a slowing uh, economy that the Fed cannot do anything about, I think, is one that shows, you know, deteriorating earnings momentum and, and you know, lower stock prices. And if it's, you know, kind of goes hand in hand with a fall in inflation, well, don't forget, inflation going down is going to be a headwind for earnings growth, right? I mean, mm -hmm. part of the earnings growth story this year has been, nom has been nominal prices have been able to go up, sales have been up, and that's, been, that's helped. If that starts to turn, you know, next year, that, that is a headwind for earnings growth momentum. So again, in sum, I think the Fed tomorrow kind of pushes back against this rate cut cycle uh, because the labor market remains robust. But it is, it, it is that concept that is, is risk off because the market, you know, in my view, the market kind of begs for Fed liquidity around, you know, at all times. And when it's told it's not getting it, it, it you know, it revolts. And I'm showing this Fed liquidity um, chart that you keep posted for clients. This yeah. is just a nice kind of fractal with SPY on the same time frame. Um, so in it, it has been very supportive of the uh, supportive um, of. Yeah, look, what, what we've had for, for the fourth quarter is we've had a massive um, drawdown in the Treasury General account. And it doesn't look like the Treasury is actually going to rebuild its cash hoard as aggressively as, you know, we and, and everybody, and even that they had said a few a, a few weeks ago, they had talked about getting uh, cash levels back to 700 billion by the end of the year. They're currently 355 billion. They're, they're not gonna get there. Part of this has been kind of a political game that they've played to try to get the debt ceiling um, negotiations done sooner rather than later. Um, but that doesn't look like it's gonna, it's gonna happen. Um, but they're, they're seasonally over the last two weeks of the year, after the tax payment gets made for December 15th, there is typically a, a, a build in the Treasury General account through year end. And the other big driver of that is the reverse repo facility, which has seen a big drawdown. Money has come into the markets. But over the last 10 days or so, we, we've seen $150 billion go back into the reverse repo uh, account. And then the last thing is QT, which is you know up to $95 billion. Um, so far this month. We haven't seen any of it. We haven't seen any QT yet, really, this month. That so we should see, um, you know, that over the course of the next uh, two and a half weeks as well. So we're likely to get liquidity contraction over the course of the next two weeks. Um, you know, which could add to a more of a risk-off flavor and maybe put some coal in the stocking of the, you know, of a of a Santa Claus. Yeah, we need to get down and stay below 40, 50 and spy. But I have up here your uh, real um, two-year. And uh, this chart says what? I mean, recently, it, an entire rate hike just disappeared, right, from the forward interest rate curve um, on this 
equity exuberance here that we've had. Yeah, but you can see like the white line there is still real yields. I mean, they're still, and that's inverted. So, you know, real two-year yields are still, you know, very close to the highs of the year, um, and which is, you know, historically, you know, has been a, a fairly decent uh, headwind for equity multiple valuations. And what we could have is a situation where as inflation starts to subside, but rates don't move uh, down with that, real yields will continue to expand further. Uh, that, that's considered, that'd be more tightening. So um, again, it, it, it's what I'm, what I'm focused on is this kind of gap between where the economy is and is going and the Fed's ability to react to it. And I think that there are inhibiting factors that prevent the Fed from, um, you know, moving aggressively to slow down what I see as a pace of, of, of growth momentum deceleration that I admit that's possibly, you know, accelerating and getting, and, and getting worse. And we can talk about, you know, where that's coming from and, and China and how that fits in, but it seems like you know, some of the growth momentum is, you know, is, you know, is, is, is getting worse. So, um, but the Fed's not going to be in a position to really address that imminently. So do you think that this, um, I mean, right now we have basically the Fed effectively helping uh, CPI to weaken from efforts that it's put in place, actions it's put in place from a year ago. <laughs> so in essence, these rate hikes are really helping. They have had an effect on inflation and it's showing the rate of inflation is slowing, but wage growth is something that's just much more sticky and also lagging. And I have really this strong thesis, right? Since October of 2021, that wages would outperform productivity. And now we still have wages, you know, five to 6% year over year and productivity is flatlined at zero. So it's still very systemic and, uh, and, and sticky for lack of a better term. So do you see this as also the, the Fed effects, right? Have, have helped in this um, CPI weakening, uh, but with a one year lag, where do you see one year from now? Where do you see inflation? Yeah. Really? Yeah, look, I, I think th th there's clearly these long and variable lead times, and we can argue about you know how long or in certain sectors it obviously you know takes longer, right? I mean, in the housing market moved um, mortgage rates moved well ahead of the first rate hike, right? I mean, so the housing market has seen its deterioration you know far sooner than kind of you know industrial America's um, you know, labor momentum, right? For many companies, cost of capital really is not a deterrent for, for CapEx plans, right? A move, a move from where they were borrowing at 2 3% to, you know, 5 6%, that extra 200 basis points of interest rate or 400 basis points of interest rate hikes. You know, if you're thinking about a 30-year, you know, project, you're, you know, this is really not, it, it's, it's, it's probably not doing much to change your investment decision. Um, so, you know, from that perspective, it takes a longer period of time. I think if the Fed were to hold, you know, rates up near 5% for the entirety of 2023, then we would start to see, you know, a further growth slowdown, unemployment, unemployment rise, and some of these wage pressures. Look, I mean, the, these airline, wage, like airlines are talking about, you know, 8 and 9% wage increases for the next four years. 
Um, you know, Exxon just announced a 9% wage increase in the oil patch, right? There's the rail, rail increases are high single digit. These are nowhere near 2%, right? So um, I think we're going to be in an environment where wages are higher, you know, wage growth momentum is higher for longer for a, a large swath of the kind of middle part of the country in industrial America, but there certainly will be you know, parts on the coasts in high tech and crypto and finance that that sees layoffs. Um, uh, a so note, so. yeah, a note on the tech layoffs. We've had um, lots of folks worried and extrapolating out because of the tech layoffs, which, you know, represent a whole bunch in regards to stock market companies, you know, like 25% of uh of the, the tech layoffs are in publicly traded companies, but they only represent 2% of payrolls overall. Right. So relatively speaking, we still have a long way to go in well, um, unemployment. Well, that's a, that's a great point. I mean, I think what we're, what we're seeing is there, there is a, the, these headlines impact kind of publicly traded companies and people's perception of publicly traded equities more so than kind of what you're seeing on the ground, maybe in quote unquote, real America, that's not in uh, necessarily in publicly traded companies, right? And I know, you know, for instance, down here in Southwest Florida, where we just had a huge hurricane, like the labor market is probably as tight as it's literally ever been. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, but these companies, you know, people and companies down here are not publicly traded. So the wage growth here is, you know, quite aggressive. My, mm -hmm. my, my, my daily contractor just told me he's raising his rates from $75 an hour to $125 an hour for, for 2023, right? So, you know, that's a 60% increase in, in his day rate. Um, but, you know, and you have this chart of Atlanta CPI, which is also a very hot market that's very still sticky. Real estate as well. Same thing as Boston. Oh my yeah, god! This, Atlanta. This is the Atlanta Fed does the, goes into the CPI data and kind of cuts out some of the volatile stuff. And you know, this is from today's reading, right? So their sticky CPI yeah. is making a new high. So again, it, it just kind of tells you it's going to take longer to, you know, to kind of work our way through the inflation story, which I think means for the Fed is going to have to be in there for longer with restrictive policy. And that means they are further away from uh, providing stimulus to arrest uh, any growth disruption. And ultimately, that's not great for multiples and it's not great for earnings. And typically when you have headwinds for earnings and for multiples, that's usually not great for stocks. Yeah. So as we kind of turn into 2023, um, that's my, you know, that's what I'm most, you know, kind of worried about. I just uh, did up this chart for uh, clients this weekend and posted it, which is, you know, front and center. Obviously, we're both um, bullish this wage inflation and, uh, you know, wage demand increases. Reference, you just mentioned the airlines. Um, negotiated deal this weekend that kind of didn't make uh, so much of a of, of a a headline because we had so much more going on right with the FTX and and it was completely hidden or obscured. But the point is that they continue like the pilots are negotiating a much bigger raise over a duration of time and then what follows um, it, the attendance and the, the mechanics and it is a trickle down economics type yeah. of uh, effect with um, rising wages and. Um, this wage inflation that you and I have been very bullish on, but goods falling, 
right? This this we we both also agree is helping this uh, the CPI print to soften. But one thing that we're also squarely focused on um, are unemployment claims. Right now, with the growth um, in the economy being what it is, uh, we don't have a quote unquote risk off event yet. We've rolled over obviously from October, but my point is we have not really really seen um, a fast and furious. Uh, equity sell-off, and I contend we won't until we get through some of these levels in unemployment claims. And yeah, I'm technically doing analysis on an unemployment chart, um, unemployment claims chart, excuse me. But um, this is my my baseline bet as well, that as the uh, unemployment uh, claims rise, that will come under uh, more pressure, earnings um, contraction yeah. and the rest. So they're all related, long story short. Yeah, look, I mean, I think we've seen so far off the lows, I think we've seen close to a 350,000 uh, rise in continuing claims off the absolute low, a low that, you know, that's a, we, we basically set an all-time low in April. But if you look back, and I don't know if you have the chart, but if it, I mean, just looking back, you know, in, in 2000, you know, when we were off the low, like we rallied 3 million. Right. And Where are you? What chart are you referring I, I didn't, to? I didn't send it to you, but it was here. I'll just show, let me show you it to you. It's basically yeah. just the you know continuing claims chart. Okay. Yeah, let me just send it to you. Just just a little bit further, a little bit further back. And it just shows that we're yes, we have started to see some weakness in the labor market. But before we start talking about rece recession, is when we have you know three and four and five and six million continuing claims. We're still in the one point one point six one point seven. So we're just not. You know, we're just really right. Like we can see we're, we're in the lower right here. You can see, you know, in the 2000 recession where we got to, you can see the 2007, eight recession where we got to, obviously during COVID where we got to and where we are now. I mean, we're just, yeah. it's just early, we're just early stages. But it, it typically happens slower than all at once, which is why I kind of like my, my, um, the, pulled out chart for those particular key levels. But I mean, big picture, we're also very much focused on, um, the bond market has intonated a, you know, clear recession signal. What are we going to do about that? We just we just moved um, yeah. thirteen basis points in a New York minute, and the uh, the the bond market still sees a recession risk dead ahead. Some are much more um, are yeah. making you know an audible. Harknet just came out. Harknet of Bank of America said he sees a recession in the next ten to twelve weeks. And yeah. others are saying no recession for 2023. So yeah. where are you at in that spectrum? Yeah, look, I mean, the bond market is freaked out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the bond market is scared. I mean, if I look at, you know, a, let me see if I can just send this this chart to you, which is basically, um, oh, hold on, sorry. That's all right. This is um, Euro dollar, kind of a proxy for Fed funds. Euro dollars uh, futures in kind of the second quarter out versus the sixth quarter out. So kind of a, a you know two quarters out is when we are likely to see a peak, and then six quarters out how how aggressive is the is the cutting? Mm -hmm. So we're down at negative ninety four ninety five basis points right now. I mean the market is expecting a rate cutting cycle as aggressive as we saw kind of at the beginning of two thousand and eight into the financial crisis, right? The bond market is scared. So the, the question is, you know, why are they so scared? <laughs> um, am I missing something? Um, or is there bad Fed communication? And I think maybe it's 
maybe it's a combination of, of, of all those things. I mean, um, I am concerned about the growth outlook uh, for the economy. I think we had a, um, you know, a stimulus-fueled crack-up boom-type environment from the middle of 2020 through the end of 2021, where we gave a lot of people a lot of money, and now we're kind of, you know, retracting that liquidity. Both the Fed is retracting liquidity, the government's taking that liquidity away, and cumulative savings are starting to be drawn down. And everybody that bought a lot of things during COVID doesn't really need many of those things anymore, which is why we're seeing this disinflation and deflation in goods. Um, and look, I think as far as the consumer is concerned, yes, the consumer is seeing nominal income growth that's been robust. There, there, are, there are growing signs that it's just not enough to keep up with uh, services inflation and and so I think what we're getting is, you know, kind of a rolling wave of concern, right? We saw it first in housing, where there was a slowdown in housing, then there's a slowdown in autos, and now maybe there's a slowdown in travel, which, you know, the airlines are starting to pick up on possibly. There's a slowdown in retail, um, which the XRT is starting to pick up, and some of the, you know, larger companies have had, you know, have had big inventory builds into policy. Huge inventory so, builds. So oh it my. just, seem, it just yeah. seems like, there is concern that you know consumption, which is seventy percent of the economy, is starting to slow, despite you know what what remains a decent wage market, wage environment. And then, as far as kind of manufacturing, ISMs are are you know well south of fifty, so that's recessionary territory. And if you think about China, it's kind of a global growth momentum you know wild card. Um, yes, they are likely to reopen, but they haven't seen anywhere near the level of stimulus to the people that we gave to our citizens here or that Europe gave to mm -hmm. theirs. So yes, they may reopen, but it's not, it's not commensurate with a massive amount of money printing. So, and I suspect it'll take longer and there'll be bumps and starts. And I don't suspect that we're going to get kind of just a, just this kind of turn everything on and they, they go gangbusters, you know, imminently, right? The case counts are going to rise. People are going to get sick. The death count's going to rise. This is COVID all over again. And so we have to kind of get through that, I think, first. So maybe the bond market really is just getting very concerned about, um, you know, all that growth momentum. And you know, maybe they're also concerned about, you know, then I guess maybe the other thing would be, is there something systemic that, that that's under the hood that we're missing? The only thing I could think of there is that there's been some of these uh, fund gates in housing products, right? The Blackstone REIT, and, and I think there's been a couple other ones. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's been maybe some liquidity issues in some of these kind of private equity venture capital funds that have locked up money and people want their money back. Right. So, you know, if you think about the leverage in some of those entities that have borrowed short and lent long, you know, maybe they're they're having their own, you know, liquidity issues that we need to keep an eye on. I mean, part of the 2008 crisis was, you know, the CMBS market, right, that no one was really talking about. It did kind of get tightened up. Maybe there's something going on there as we kind of move into 2023 venture capital and private equity valuations, you know, which have held up well. All things considered, this year, as those funds are taking big markdowns next year, maybe that's a maybe that's an issue that the bond market's also sniffing out. But um, yeah, the, all uh, very good points. Solid. Uh, let me ask you what you think about this, right? So this is um, 
speaking of you know the bond market pricing in recession, uh, the 30-year, less than three-month yield, right? So we have just literally careened over waterfall cascade type of breakdown uh, into inversion. And we can stay here for a while. I don't have the 1970s, but we stayed there for a while. <laughs> but one of the things that I've been tracking, as you know, is this three-month, I kind of use IRX, which is a you know the three-month um, interest rate index that came all the way up to a extended level, just has been parabolic. And now for the past you know week or so is starting to go sideways. Mm. Um, I have this kind of thesis, right? That now that it, the three month has, has hit my 4.18% um, area, we should start to soften over the next one to three quarters. Okay. Yeah. So, but I think the longer duration yields stay sticky, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that this is where we can see some inflation expectations declining and it's seemingly right now bullish, but I still, as you have shown the real, the real um, rate chart very, very well, it remains high. So, yeah. common, so the nominal rates can remain very sticky. So I have, you know, my price targets in the 10 year and the rest for, um, you know, areas for support because we're long bonds and tip and yen and gold and, you know, the whole thing. Um, ZB, I can show that chart as well. But the point is, at some point, this is going to start to hit its head on on resistance, right? That long kind of fishing basket worth. And yeah. then we need to cover um, because I can see also this, thesis of we're going to start to have kind of the, that bear steepening like we have um, a hit on economic growth and stock and company valuation uh, mm -hmm. still come under pressure. I don't think tech is done going down. I think it has one more leg. Um, I've made that case uh, for the past you know month or so going into the, the first half of 2023. But what's your mm -hmm. take on all of this? Yeah, I mean, just look at this chart. I mean, like, look at when we get to a period of... so. The more negative it goes, the more the curve is inverting, right? And then at some point that flips and basically what winds up happening is the front end, the three month, you know, wrap. So it's really more like a, it would be more like a bull steepener in that the front end rallies, right? So the yields in the front come down. So look at 2001 and then again in the end of 07, 08 period, and then even really kind of in the 4Q 2019 period and all throughout COVID, right? Those, those periods of, of significant bull steepening are often associated with, with like recessions, mm -hmm. right? I mean, so I think that's where, you know, we're ultimately going to get to. And as the front end, the front end will come down when the Fed and markets are becoming more concerned about the growth outlook, and it's done enough damage to forward inflation that allows the Fed to kind of loosen up, loosen up its policy. I think the reason that we haven't kind of seen that yet is because the Fed doesn't feel like they can really loosen up policy amidst this this wage environment. But I don't know, maybe three months from now, if we're you know in, in a different place on growth and we're more concerned about wages, then um, we've priced, you know, we will, we will have priced out all these, uh, any more tightening. Um, and you know, that IRX, which is basically the three month T-bill rate that starts mm -hmm. to fall, but 30 year at three and a half percent really can't, you know, yields can't really fall much more because eventually the Fed is going to have, is and will print, uh, and add liquidity back, which, you know, and given a lot of the structural reasons why, uh, you know, I think duration longer term is a sale, you know, you know, 
China selling, Saudi selling, RMB for oil, various different things. Um, that could lead to a, you know, kind of the front end of the bond market kind of moving in a bullish way and the back end kind of moving in a bearish way. And then you really can get um, a big steepener. But, you know, we're, we're not we're not there yet. But I think the first driver of that will be um, concerns about growth that are enough to um, get the Fed off of its tightening agenda. Okay, so I'm showing right now um, T-bond futures, ZB1, retail product, TLT, very similar. But th this is where the Bank of Japan came in, right? And not only did its massive yen intervention, which helped the yen rally dollar pullback, it also put a bid in gold and bonds stopped going down. But we also had uh, China intervene and tell their state banks to start buying stocks to stem the selling. Um, so on and on, we had a, you know, a very, very um, a nice bottom, let's say, in bonds. And then, of course, we had the CPI print last time, which was also bullish, not just stocks, but also bonds. And this is still, you know, traveling very nicely, kind of this 45 degree angle higher. So bonds are still bid. Obviously, um, we've been going through this every single day. Uh, oil has been weak. I was asked in Q&A to kind of show the bond view, and I still see it as going up to 135. So clients have had this, but my point is, I don't think we're going to chop around here for sure. If we break 128, we've got a pullback. But for right now, um, with this, you know, this particular product moving higher into 135, but then I think it's done because big picture, this is still, you can't even see, but it, it's a 40-year massive, <laughs> massive um, channel, and we have clearly broken down, rallied into resistance, crashed, and only got supported, only got supported on October 21st when Bank of Japan intervention came in, period, end of point. It's the only reason why we stopped going down. <laughs> so um, long, long story short, I'm still seeing this as the uh, area where um, yields basically will start to get defended very, very strongly. Dollar get defended very, very strongly. And uh, that's really all I wanted to say about that. I mean, there, there's a part of me that, that says if the bond market is as worried about whatever it's worried about as, as current pricing would suggest, then, then equities are very much the wrong price, right? I mean, if it's the, if it's the case that Curve inversion um, suggests a growth outlook that is way worse than um, consensus believes. And I don't see how we're going to have earnings growth next year kind of commensurate with whatever is being priced into a market that's at 40, 50. So now, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe part of this bond market move is just lack of, under, you know, understanding about the Fed's reaction function. And we'll find out more about that tomorrow. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I think if, if this is, you know, if we're moving into 2023 with, you know, that yield curve inversion of 100, 150 basis points between terminal and where we're going to be six quarters out, that, that that's the bond market pricing in an economic outlook that would historically not be a good one for stocks. Okay. Um, along that same line of the ZB and your comment about, yeah, they, at some point they will, we've obviously had risk parity die with, with, um, and deflation um, with COVID. So now that we've had this corresponding, uh, highly correlated move in stocks and bonds down, and now in this recent bounce, um, I was asked about uh, TLT. So let me just first give a little uh, preface here. I do this kind of intermarket analysis, which is um, compare and contrast 
uh, ratio analysis, which helps me find divergences. It helps me find points of um, overbought, oversold, extremely overbought, extremely oversold. And long story short, uh, you can see here is TNX, the 10 year. And here is a ratio of TIP to TLT, which basically, you know, bottomed in COVID in March and has been moving higher. Um, this has been a, a really great play also in kind of my wonky little intermarket of saying in August 2020, bonds are done going up. We had some sideways consolidation for sure in this um, uh, 2021 period before it took off and oil took off very strongly, actually December, that shouldn't say 2020, um, that should say 2021, from that 65 to 130. But the point is, now that we're pulling back, now that we're pulling back, this is, you know, triggering, in my opinion, just a pullback in inflation expectations. That's all that this chart means to me. And I, I pulled this up because it's related to TLT because I was asked about it in Q&A. Um, but it triggers in so many people this commodity deflation narrative that commodity that we're going to be immediately going into a deflationary spiral. I wanted first of you, first of all, I mean, just to kind of kind of share, I don't see deflationary spiral. I just see inflation expectations got you know, very, very rich, and now they're pulling back. In the same way that TLT bonds, since you're kind of, I'm working backwards to that question, um, got very, very oversold or cheap. And this is a convexity move of size right back into its mean. I mean, the mean is up here to this 112 area. I still don't see any reason why it can't reach it. But it doesn't mean that we're done having inflation um, and that we've moved right into a deflationary spiral. Um, I just think this is a really strong oversold, you know, con con convexity type bounce. And big picture, when this pulls back down, which right now was just the mean, we pull back into this channel. I would expect very much for um, this to get supported and move back higher. What are your What's your take? Yeah, I mean. I think the commodity story still has um, a lot of, uh, you know, tailwind behind it, kind of from a structural basis on on supply for one. I mean, we've seen, you know, just really a dearth of CapEx kind of into the commodity universe uh, for the last several years. And so we're just not going to have, the, you know, the commodity supply growth. Uh, kind of unlike in 2016 and unlike in 2011 and unlike in 2008, where we when we had those deflationary busts, they came with a massive amount of commodity supply that had been reacting to kind of prior cycles of high prices. Right now, we, 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 do, we just don't have that this time. We just don't have the supply growth expected um, in the next five years. So I think commodities can stay snug um, on that. And then on the, for the most part, Kind of the climate res, you know, revolution or whatever comes from that. Um, you know, demand for metals um, that go into uh, kind of you know cl uh, climate investments, whether they be copper, lithium, rare earths, you know, aluminum, a variety of different things. Um, we'll see a demand driver, uh, kind of similar to the demand driver that we saw in 2001 through 2011 with respect to China. So there is an underlying strong case to be made for real assets, you know, and, and, and I would add eventually when there is more money printing, um, again, a dollar is, is, is weakened, that's another reason for hard assets. So I think there's a good underlying kind of multi-year commodity story developing, but in this kind of short-term period where 
from a positioning point of view, most people tried to play this year kind of long commodities, long energy, long materials. And so we're seeing, uh, you know, some of that unwind. And you know, I think you nailed the XLE column. I think maybe even almost to the exact day of the high, um, kind of calling a pullback there. But I think so we're, we're, we're getting some of that. And that probably continues for the next few weeks here. And if demand um, and we go into a recession, it's going to be hard to see kind of demand acceleration for commodities. Um, so I think short term, you know, there's some of these deflationary forces on the good side, on the commodity side that stay in there. But I agree with you. At, at the point in time when, you know, the Fed is forced to kind of react to the growth slowdown and China also really reacts to its growth slowdown, that will be a good time to be long commodities again. I suspect we're going to get there at some point in 2023, but I don't, I don't think there's a rush right now as we turn the, turn the calendar. And I'll be watching the uh, the twenty year. Honestly, this this twenty year Treasury yield um, it could be the five as well. But the point is, we had this explosion higher, obviously in summer of twenty twenty, formed a really nice inverse head and shoulder. This is a rate of change in this lower panel, exploded higher, pulled back very nicely, right smack dab on support, and then exploded higher again. This recent pullback in yields on that Bank of Japan intervention on October 21st, I'm steadfast in, <laughs> in, in, in stating again um, that that was the reason for the season, that pullback in the dollar and yields and, and obviously VIX suppression, but VIX is neutered anyway. So it's it's not been really strong on my list. Um, net buying, however, was extremely high on my list. As you know, uh, we both tracked that and it has been very strong. So a, a weaker dollar and definitely uh, suppressed VIX um, net buying and weaker yields. But now here we are, right? We've pulled back. Inflation expectations have also cooled. Oil has rolled over. Hence, the one-year inflation expectations are lower. CPI is lower. Wage inflation is still sticky. Unemployment is still low. Um, but this is where I'm going to start to look for support. Remember, this is a massive 40-year channel and it has hit every single level it's taken out. You know, this was 2011 highs. Um, and then we got rejected. So we come down here, we base a little bit, we create a pattern and a reversal. We'll start moving higher. And the next year, I keep getting asked, what's the trade? What's the trade? Well, I've just shown you, for me anyway, um, the dollar is moving lower. That's the reason for the season for stocks and bonds and yen and gold and, and you know the rest moving higher. Um, oil suppression, we'll talk about that a little bit separately. But as the yields pull back and get supported and then move higher, we're going to have a situation where the rate of change takes off very strongly again, and bonds can really careen over again with equities. So not today. Today, right now, we're obviously having um, this kind of skittishness with bond inversion foretelling um, a recession, but the economy is still strong and stocks are still basically, if you look at it big picture, just going sideways since May. Um, and bonds are absolutely bid. So I just kind of I highlight that because I think that this is still going to be um, tradable long bonds and to be determined on Fed tomorrow. They could do a complete Fed pull. We know a rug pull. But in the meantime, um, that, that dollar has been very, very helpful to kind of uh, directionally trade the markets, in my humble opinion. As far as oil is concerned, when we broke 93 on a monthly. That was just rollover Beethoven. We had uh, lots and lots of channel surfing while SPR was basically getting drained. Uh, we're now at levels, I think they're even today, there was another uh, news item that it, 
it was a 36 year low yesterday. I think it's lower now, but the point is it keeps getting depleted um, and the lows keep coming in. So I've can, my baseline bet has been if then. So it was high conviction from 65 to 130. Now it's, I, it was either, I don't know after 93 or it's if then. So every low keeps take, keeps getting taken out. Um, every bounce keeps getting sold. So I still see a monthly pivot of 65, 65 that I think is going to get defended very strongly. 102 in the dollar um, and bonds obviously are, are quite uh, robust. So I think we digest sideways and then we um, move higher into that 135 potential. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what the Fed does uh, tomorrow. But that's um, very bullish still. Uh, gold and yen and very weak. I have mentioned with um, the dollar yen. Let me just show this real quick because I got that question as well. Okay. Dollar yen. This is the 151 firmly rejected. That was a price target that then rolled over definitively. This happens to be a yearly pivot and it rolled over some more. I think we can roll over some more. So that's where I think we're going to get supported in the dollar yen. We've also had a lot of weakness in the dollar yuan, and this is sporting more of a head and shoulders top. top um, and there's still weakness in FX. So as long as the dollar stays um, subdued with VIX and with yields, asked about that. I'm still waiting for this to come down um, into 3.33. So that hasn't happened yet. And I am still waiting. So in the meantime, it's very, very hard to call this equity, um, you know, uh, rally that has been incredibly dangerous for short duration bears and bulls alike, unless you are, you know, just lucky or extremely well positioned and fast. Because <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm, I'm I'm seeing fabulous fades and bounces intraday, but a lot of the action, as you know, is happening in futures futures right. market. Very very tough to to kind of game what um, FOMC will do tomorrow. But we had a sizable bounce this morning off that 103.65, and as long as that holds, um, we can have some weakness in um, in in equities. But if that is taken out. We will see a continuation down to 102 and markets spiking higher into that potentially not just 4130, but also um, 4200. So that's just kind of like yeah. a quick overview since I was asked in Q&A, what's, what's your view for oil? I still see 6565. Um, what's my view for XLE? Um, let me just show that real quick. And we'll get back to a little bit more macro, but um, XLE was really a nice right? Roll over, gorgeous. We had a little bounce and they got faded immediately. I thought we'd have a little bounce here, but we took it out and then had a bounce. I still see lower levels, but the point is we have right now um, a little bounce in oil, a little bounce in XLE on all this excitement, uh, but I don't think that that trade is done or diamond short, but we will find out tomorrow how much of this, um, I guess, forecast, for lack of a better word, is going to feed the market bulls because they are totally, as you said, pricing in no, I'm sorry, I should say, they're pricing in rate cuts, right? And normalization in 2024. And if Powell comes out with a forecast, it's a little bit more hawkish. We do have volatility um, potential and a very large options expiration, right. the largest ever this coming Friday. So we're, we're set up for some more volatility. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I would just point to like, from 
you know, an equity perspective, just, you know, how some of these kind of off calendar reporters uh, report, or if we get negative pre-announcements or positive pre-announcements, but, you know, I, I point out the airline sector today because we did hear from JetBlue and, and about, you know, demand kind of coming in worse than expected for the month of December. And I think, you know, and it's, the sector got destroyed today. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just another one of those areas where, you know, if we start to see more um, earning disappointment, you know, you, you had pointed out Costco, I think that was last week, and, mm-hmm. you know, Oracle today. And, you know, I think as, as more of these earners come in worse than expected, um, you know, because of a 4Q slowdown or because of concern about momentum as we head into, you know, first quarter 2023, um, you know, that, that, that could throw some cold water on, you know, equity, you know, euphoria, right? Because guys are not going to want to hold stocks that, you know, I mean, look, JetBlue is down 8% today, right? I mean, you know, you, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to want to hold things that you feel like may have some earnings risk and can, and can, you know, just show that kind of underperformance on a day like, you know, on a day like today when, when the markets are generally, you know, are generally bid. So, um, you know, we don't really have a lot in the way of earnings. We have Lenar later this week, we have FedEx next week, which I think will be interesting. Obviously it gets quiet, you know, as we turn, um, you know, to new year, but keep an eye out for negative pre-announcements from companies. Steno steel companies usually give some, some color either this week or next week. So, you know, let's see how some of these carnival reports next week. Um, so, you know, Nike also is next week, Micron's next week. So, you know, yes, it's we're, we're getting to the end of the year here, but these are some big, important companies that, you know, may help set the stage for how people are thinking about earnings uh, for the first quarter. And, you know, if, if there is more concern about earnings momentum, um, you know, that there should be some opportunity there to, you know, if you want to be negative to really find those, you know, find those names that are, you know, that are seeing deteriorating economic uh, fundamentals. And I know we have a whole bunch of questions that we have not gotten through by any stretch of the imagination. And by the way, thank you so much for attending and asking all these great questions. Oh my. Um, I just want to, hopefully this, is this, hold on, did I share it or not? (laughs) Nope. Let's do that. Here's a chart, um, Craig, I want to ask your, ask you about. Okay. So, this was a, a fabulous chart that I just put up yesterday. Data Trek had kind of this two-year treasury yield year-to-date versus the S&P returns. You can see, obviously, as it rises, the S&P doesn't, right? It was yeah. a negative. Um, we had that flat period, actually, uh, June 15th, uh, July, August um, period. And then we had a little bit more rollover August 16th into that October 13th low where the two-year yields picked up um, and the S&P rolled over. I mean, this is you know, not a bad look at yeah. the correlation between your two-year yield yeah. um, and, and yours was even real. But the point is we are in the flat period. And as long as this is going flat, market likes it. Yeah. So any 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 tells uh, going yeah. into this particular indicator? You know, it's, I, I, I mean, you know, I, I've been thinking at, at some point, and I don't know if it's, if we're there now or or in the next few weeks or or it takes a little bit while longer but at some point i think that the market will need to come to grips with the reality that the pause from the fed is not enough meaning that holding rates flat for 
at an elevated and restricted level for a period of time is actually, you know, going to be getting more restrictive as inflation falls and as the economy slows. And so my sense is that the next move on the chart that you just sent me, uh, that you just showed, which shows two-year yields falling, that actually might come with stocks down. And the reason that it will come with stocks down is because two years rallying like that is indicative of a bond market that is increasingly concerned about the growth outlook and of one where the Fed is unable to raise rates and, you know, but likely still cannot cut rates um, because of the lag impacts of, a, a, you know, still, you know, strong-ish labor market. So, um, and if that is in the environment that plays out, then, you know, even though two-year yields will be coming down, if inflation doesn't fall as fast, if inflation falls faster, real yield, real two-year yields will still expand and that would be negative you know, for, you know, for stocks, because, you know, in my framework, economic momentum needs, or, or stock market and, and risk asset momentum needs Fed liquidity, and even the real economy in order to reaccelerate, will need Fed liquidity, because we're just not going to get there on our own, in light of, you know, still weak, look, GDP is driven by population, you know, growth per capita, you know, productive population growth per capita, population is birth rate and immigration, neither of those trends are, are particularly good. Um, and productivity trends have continued to be, you know, kind of mediocre. So in order to get acceleration in, in growth, we need to print more money. And that's what we've been doing for a long period of time. So, and when the Fed does that, typically supportive for risk assets. And then now, we don't have that. And we're not going to have that imminently, which I think is, you know, part of the reason why I'm concerned about risk assets. And very sticky wages <laughs> right? with very low unemployment. So until that changes, um, you know, debt ceiling on the 16th could uh, be a trigger. You know, a lot of um, government employees on furlough. Uh, we could also have, again, some black swan event. But for right now, in a normally operating market, uh, we don't have, um, you know, this type of drama known. So this is one of the great unknowns. Yeah. But I will comment because I was asked in Q&A, you know, where are we going markets next? From my intermarket, I can tell you only what I see is that we're starting to roll over. Now, this is a McClellan summation, but the point is um, we are definitely in SPY and NASDAQ. We are starting to get a very strong signal, just like we did for the rally, you know, from August 16th over into the bottom of October, higher. This has not triggered yet in RSI, but it has rolled over in my other. Um, you know, that, other do you have that indicator back to the end of last year? I can I can go find it. Yeah. But the I mean, reason I, I ask is because most people kind of look at, you know, the Santa Claus rally has, has made it difficult. But la I thought I remember last year, too, in December, we had a nice move lower. And then the last week of the year it was up and then we were straight down to start the year. I wonder if not that not that last year is the only indicator, but. It's just interesting that that indi your indicator is rolling over in what is normally seen as a you know sh you know seasonally strong point of the year. Um, you know, I think it's you know. tired. It's just yeah. it's just bloody momentum is waning, and it's just tired. This is just one of many, right? I mean, I got all kinds of stuff yeah. that I use, but in in regards to um, what most important to me is dollar yields, 
net buying or selling. And so far, those are still supportive for higher. But my intermarket is absolutely giving me the opposite. And this is just two of many. But my point is, and, and whether it be NDX or SPX or NYSE, um, they are definitely rolling over. They we just not we have not had the um, the confirmation and price action yet. So it is fascinating to me that we have this volatility intraday, uh, but that doesn't stick because this is the most volatile market since 1950 intraday, uh, which is to, which is saying something. Yeah. So, and I know we've said a lot in the in the last hour, and I, we're not going to get through um, a lot of the questions because there's tons, right? We go <laughs> like that we can't even anticipate. We'll have to do this after FOMC. Yeah. Which, by the way, um, I run a live trading room during the FOMC, two to three. Craig will chime in with his interpretations of what Powell is speaking, um, and of course, we'll be able to see live the market reaction. Um, gold and dollar and yields, oh my, stocks and bonds. And that will definitely set the tone for the rest of the year um, and into Q1. But I have, uh, again, kind of put my warnings out there that I still see one more leg lower in tech. Most are not seeing that. I don't mean some of the oversold plays that are potential buyout candidates in mid-tier tech. Um, maybe we get a policy pass in the pot stock. So there we get a lot of oversold stuff that can pop up. But as a sector, I do not see NASDAQ outperformance, especially the um, uh, the Fang Man stocks. So I've, I've done a video about that back in early November, um, and we'll revisit that at the beginning of the year um, to kind of talk about particular sectors. But you and I are, I know you were early on the bullish gold trade. I was only bullish as a swing, and it has extremely outperformed even my expectations. So I'm that's going to be a leading sector um, that I know we're going to highlight in, in the beginning of Q1. There's yeah. no question in my mind that's going to be a really strong one. But then so is oil. Um, I think I think this has got to get down to that 65, 65 I've been talking about since summer, and it's weaseling its way down, then I think we get supported. But I think it's going to time very much with a bottom in dollar and yields as well. Yeah, I see someone, no, I see someone in there on, uh, asked a question about Ukraine, and, and I don't I don't really have too much of a view about um, that. But what I would say is, we're we're in the window here from Putin. I think from Putin's perspective, between now and in March, where he has more leverage than not. Right? It's the winter. This if he if he's going to do something, um, you know, now would be a better time than waiting for the spring or summer when he you know he has less pull um, to kind of you know screw over Europe with the gas flows. So that that is kind of an exogenous risk that you know is in the back of my mind. I don't really know exactly you know, whether or not it impacts my day-to-day, -day, but it is something we should be, you know, kind of mindful of if over the weekend something were to happen, over any weekend, right, mm -hmm. something were to, were to happen that could change things. And then I think just as far as oil is concerned, still trying to figure out just the SPR buying. Is, is the administration really going to be buying oil at 70? I'm actually suspicious. I, I, don't, I actually don't think they're going to be. Um, I think they're going to wait. I, I think they are going to you know, try to keep the oil market, um, you know, snug so that the U.S. domestic uh, producers feel like the administration is on their side. But I don't know, from a narrative point of view, I find it hard to believe that Democrats and Biden is going to be able to spin a message to his constituents about that it's a good idea 
for the U.S. to buy oil and raise gasoline prices and destroy the environment, right? I mean, that, so I, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit skeptical that that they are going to be there um, with a big check at 70. Um, we just we we actually don't need as much oil as we used to in the SPR. The SPR is in the wrong place. Right, it's in Texas and and in the South where we create a lot of oil and we have shortages of products in the Northeast and other places. It's just it's not a great, you know, we we could be doing other things um, if we wanted to secure our energy future. So I, I wonder if we're actually going to get as much. And uh, and you know my oil. whole thesis on oil from the very beginning of summer 2020, it has it's been things over paper and then it turned into oil is uh, yeah. is the inflation hedge. And then it turned into oil. It's basically a rates trade, period. Yep. So its correlation with yields is ridiculously tight. So I don't even have to look at supply and demand. I know that's what you and Bob, you know, fundamentally yep. and macro and, and the rest for me, it is a pure rates trade. Yep. <laughs> so, all right, we're going to have to end here. Thank you so much for staying late. Um, reach out to Craig on Twitter um, or in DM if you're a client via Slack. Um, you know, where I can be found. And also, again, tomorrow, FOMC, I will have the live trading room. If you're not a client, feel free to pop in. We've got a week pass. You can see everything posted in Slack that, you you know, you're seeing from Craig and myself. Um, make sure you sign up for the Macro Advisor Bundle. That's uh, where Craig will uh, feature, post, I should say, his um, analysis tomorrow, also live via the um, the. the the FOMC and Powell. So uh, go to the pricing page and you'll find it. I wish I was more organized here on my little um, pitch here, but I, I, that's not my thing. All right. So basically we're done. We're going to wish you a great rest of the year. This is our last webinar um, for the year, unless something totally momentous happens, you know, like debt ceiling doesn't get resolved or something, but otherwise um, we're going to see this week through. Uh, be very safe, right? Uh, tomorrow, FOMC, and Friday, the largest notional value in um, quad witching, which will have a ricochet effect at some point, if not this week, next, um, most likely. And then we'll just try to get through this year so we can start fresh in uh, in January. Craig, Sounds I wish good. you a great rest of the week. And everyone, thanks again for, for joining. Sounds good. Thanks. Cheers. Bye. Bye.